Welcome to the Mercy Commons podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We trust that the Word of God encourages you and that the Holy Spirit empowers you. Hi everyone, my name is Nick. Uh, We are starting our uh, summer series and our summer series is called The Songs of Summer. So I decided we were going to start, I was going to sing. So, no, 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 no. No. You know, a friend, of, uh, friend of mine's a worship leader, and he said to me, just so you know, there's no preaching in heaven. There's singing, but there's no preaching in heaven. I'm like, yeah, well, thank you for that. So, uh, we're going to start. I'm going to read a psalm for you, and um, I'm not going to tell you who wrote it or which psalm it is. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem built as a city that is bound firmly together, to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. Their thrones of judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. So who knows what psalm that is? Who knows who wrote it? Kind of proves my point a little in the sense that we're a little disconnected from psalms as songs of summer. But I'm pretty sure that some of you will be able to tell what some of these songs are. So this is kind of a competition. So if you, if you can figure out what the song is, you just shout it out. Okay. Uh, okay, let's go, Costell. So, uh, these are songs, just so you know, from the 90s, the 2000s, the 2010s, and the 220s, nope. just to kind of include everyone. <laughs> no, come on, you'll know them, you'll know them. Okay, song number one. Drums, please. <laughs> Okay, we should have cut it before the name of the song came up, but okay, okay, so let's go to the next one. Summertime, it was summertime. Will Smith. Okay, we can cut that one. What's that? Novana Teen Spirit, okay, all the grunge guys are getting that one. Let's do the next one. Okay, stop. Someone have it? Oh, okay, it only took three seconds. Okay, next one. She wrote it. You two won. Okay, okay. Okay. Listen, I did not say I like these songs. I said they were popular songs in the 90s, 2000s, etc. Yeah, no, this is, this is not my playlist. <laughs> okay. What's the name of the song? Carry on, carry on. Carry on with that one. We don't have it. 
Smooth. Okay. Smooth by Santana. Okay. Right. Okay. I think we all got that one. Okay, we got that one. Okay, what's that one? Batman. Okay, okay. You know, the thing that's clear in, in all of that is obviously we have a strong connection to those songs. They, they transport us. For, for some of us, they transport us to a good place in our lives. For some of us, they transport us to a bad place in our lives. Um, for some of us, we would rather forget where we were transported to when we were listening to those songs. But they're powerful. And part of the reason that songs are difficult to connect with is the things that help us connect with music are not things that are well associated with psalms. The, the idea of rhyme, of rhythm, of melody, even a historical and cultural connection is lost because psalms um, aren't written in that way. Um, they are also translated into our language, into English, and so the beauty and the cleverness of the psalms as poetry and song is, is a little lost on us. And even though Psalms contain history, they contain the history of a God that created this world, of a God that led the Israelites out of Exodus, the God that established the law, the tabernacle, the temple, the crisis of exile, and, and songs that point to the Messiah, we, we still are a little disconnected from them. They're poetry. They're not narratives. They're not theology. They're, they're not history, even though they do contain some of those things, but they're littered with a language of emotion. They're littered with imagery and with hyperbole. And hyperbole is when, when you make an overstatement. Now, Israel sang the Psalms. Jesus sang the Psalms with his disciples. The early church sang the Psalms. And Paul, Paul, sang, Paul sang the Psalms with Silas in jail and saw an angel break them out of jail. And we are encouraged to sing the Psalms. The Psalms point to Jesus they were sung by Jesus, and they help us connect to Jesus. Colossians 3, verses 16 says this, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another with all wisdom, and, with, and singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So why should we pay attention to the psalms? Well, three things we're going to be talking about. Number one, because they're a powerful prayer and devotional tool. Number two, they validate our human experiences and feelings. And number three, they connect, our, uh, they connect our present to our past. So let's look at the first thing, powerful prayer and devotional tools. So Psalms, like the rest of the Bible, is not just a book that we read or study uh, for its virtue as literature or theology. It's a book more than any other that needs to be experienced. C.S. Lewis says, that most emphatically the Psalms must be read as poems, as lyrics, with all the licenses and all the formalities, the hyperboles, the emotion, rather than logical connections which are proper to lyrical poetry. And there's something about poetry that, ex that ignites our imagination. 
When you look at the Psalms, they may be descriptive of something very simple, but the arrangement of the words make it powerful, memorable, and emotional. And one of my favorite phrases out of Psalms is Psalm 56, verse 8, where the psalmist is talking to God and he says, you have recorded my wanderings or my stirrings. And, and even that, it, it could be you've recorded my wanderings when I've wandered from you or you've recorded my stirrings where I've stirred in bed. You have put my tears in your bottle. I mean, just think about this. When you're feeling alone and you're feeling unseen and you read these words that the God of the universe has recorded every tear that you have shed in your bottle and he's written them down in a book. Suddenly there's a sense of, of connection. Now when you read it quickly, the, the, that connection is lost. When you slow down and you say, Spirit of God, help me to apply this, then suddenly it becomes more alive and your heart begins to change. It transcends our mental fa fa sorry, faculties. It transcends our mental faculties and it's planted much deeper in our souls. And that's why when we experience something through song, it's even more powerful. That's part of the reason that we put songs to worship. That's one of the main reasons that we have worship songs. Even this morning, there, there are truths, biblical truths about God that are connected to song. That's also the reason why the marketers put jingles together. is for you to remember the idol that is in opposition to the God that you worship, both of them in song. Now, we can be uber-critical about modern songs, and I, I can be too. You know, um, some of you may know that, that there's a song that talks about a hurricane, and I'm not really understanding how that works, right? Um, but I, I want us to think about this, that when we look at the Psalms, they are full of metaphors and allusions that don't make sense to us, that actually make us a little uncomfortable when we read them. I mean, Psalm 109 says that I'm poor and needy. Okay, my heart is stricken within me. I think I know what that means. I'm gone like a shadow at evening. Yeah, I need to think a little more about that. I'm shaken off like a locust. Yeah, no, don't know what that means, you know. And so what happens is we just kind of shoot over those those things, instead of actually just saying, God, help me, help me slow down a little, help me use my imagination to actually think what that could mean. There's no excuse, I want to say this clearly, there's no excuse for wrong theology in the songs that we sing. So I'm not saying let's just, let's just put any kind of words together because it doesn't matter. I've been watching the series on Netflix called This Is Pop, um, and it's, it's very interesting. Um, and what I didn't know was that a whole lot of the number one songs uh, that are on, have been on the pop charts were written by Swedish people and produced by Swedish people. And the most important thing, now, now obviously English is not their first language, the most important thing for them is that they're not bored when they're listening to the song. And they don't really care about the words. That's why we get Hit Me Baby One More Time. That was written by a Swedish guy. Now I understand. That, that never made any sense to me. You know? There's that Backstreet Boys song that was written also. So many songs written. And they're not paying attention to the power of those words. They're only paying attention to the rhyme, the rhythm, the melody, as long as they're not bored. They're bored a lot. I mean, it's dark nine months of the year there. So, you know what I mean? I get it. 
There's no excuse for wrong theology, but we need to develop a width of emotion. So for someone like me that, that, that is, tends to be more critical or more cynical, I need to be able to actually ask God, God, help me. Just open my emotional width so that, that, I, can, that, that I can continue to worship with the rest of my community in this. For some of us, when we're singing these songs, and, and they don't necessarily, it's not just that they don't make theological sense, they are wrong theologically, we need to actually say, no, I, I want to be faithful to what I understand of the way in which God has been represented to us through the Word. Aaron, Aaron asked me the other day, why are you not emotional? We're watching this, this TV show, and like the end of the TV show, and then I'm about to switch it off, and she's like, no! Like everyone is going to come together and they're going to hug and they're going to kiss and you know and 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 so she asked me and I was thinking about that and I, I said to her no I am but these aren't real people these are just characters that are playing a script now when I watch a documentary like they've walked in on me and I'm watching a documentary an E60 documentary on like a running back and I am a slobbering mess you know. And, and part of the reason is that connection is stronger to me because I, I know that that is a real person. I understand what he's going through. It's not just a character in a movie. Now, I'm not saying don't feel sorry for characters in movies. I'm just saying for me, I've had to realize, yeah, there is something deep and emotional in me, but it's, it's in a different way. Just like we understand genres, there are certain genres, like I think Jason probably liked one of those songs, maybe the Santana song, right, um, out of all of that. <laughs> No? Not? You know? I don't know. Jason's kind of the original millennial who's like, liked that stuff before we did, and anything he likes, we've never heard of, you know? So, um, but because we're different, and because our experiences are different, that's why Psalms gives us a fantastic opportunity to test what it is that we think we know about ourselves because this is the second thing we're going to talk about this morning, is that Psalms validate our human experience. Now, we all want our feelings to be validated. We all, we all want someone to, to say to us, I understand what you're feeling. I know what you're going through. Well, the Psalms will do that. There are seven types of Psalms. And we, we're not going to go through everyone in detail, but the one is the one that we're most familiar with, Thanksgiving Psalms. It's invitations to praise God for His character and for His power. Let the whole earth shout triumphantly to the Lord. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with joyful singing. There's enthronement psalms. These are fancy words basically saying this is who God is. He, is. he is ruling. There is a sovereign rule of God, and He is over creation and people. There are the royal psalms that talk about David and Jesus and the coming of the Messiah and the fact that he will come to rule and reign. There are the wisdom psalms, which is practical advice for living. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. That is Psalm 1. There's lament psalms. We did a whole series on lament psalms a couple of years ago. These are prayers for God's deliverance in moments of despair. The majority of the Psalms in the Bible are lament Psalms. More than half, and we can debate, but at least 60 to 70% of the Psalms in the Bible are lament Psalms. And this, this is amazing to me because what it, what it helps me understand is that God understands that most of the time when we come to Him, there is a lament in our soul, either individually or corporately. Psalm 10 says, Lord, why do you stand so far away? Why do you hide in times of trouble? How many of us have felt that way? Psalm 38, 
My wounds are foul and festering because of my foolishness. I'm bent over and brought very low. All day long I go around in mourning, for my insides are full of burning pain. There is no soundness in my body. I am faint and severely crushed. I groan because of the anguish of my heart. You can find any kind of human emotions in the Psalms. Those are lament Psalms. I don't have time to go into that. We did that, like I said, a couple of years ago. There are judgment Psalms or imprecatory Psalms, and these are the ones that we're the most uncomfortable with. These are Psalms where, where the writer is calling out for God's wrath or wrath or judgment to come down on people because of what they've done, not only of what they've done to him or they're pursuing him or what they've done to Israel. I mean, these, these are, are pretty heavy psalms. Psalm 58, verse 8, uh, verse 6 says this, God, knock the teeth out of their mouths. Lord, tear out the young lion's fangs. May they vanish like water that flows by. May they, may they aim with blunted arrows, like a slug that moves along in slime. Like a, woman, like a woman's miscarried child, may they not see the sun. Before your pots, they can feel the heat of thorns, whether green or burning, he will sweep them away. The righteous will rejoice when he sees the retribution. He will wash his feet in the blood of the wicked. Whoa. How many of us aren't comfortable with that? Yeah, but how many of us have ever been really, really angry? How many of us, in our heart of hearts, when we've been wounded by someone, feel this exact thing? And when we give ourselves to reading these things, and there's this discomfort that begins to come up, we've got to ask God, what is that discomfort about? Because remember, there is no human emotion that is wrong. It is the application of that emotion that is wrong. The Bible tells us, be angry and do not sin. The Bible tells us to love and how to love. So it's not the emotion in and of itself that is wrong. It's what we do with that emotion. And so as we look at the validation of our human experience, when we read these Psalms, we're like, wow, there are people that felt these things in ways that are maybe a little out there, but they felt these things powerfully and strongly. And then finally, there are pilgrimage Psalms. Well, these are Psalms that are called Songs of Ascent. These are songs that Israel would sing as they made their way to Jerusalem, the, um, the pilgrimage to Jeru Jer Jerusalem, the once-a-year trip that they would make, and they would sing these songs. And that is the psalm that we started with at the beginning. It's Psalm 121. It's called A Song of Ascents, and it's a psalm written by David. Now, the reason why we look at that psalm is because it connects our present to our past. When we dive a little deeper into the psalm, we are able to see the thread of God's purpose, both with Israel and with us. As Christ followers, we've become the new Jerusalem, the, the, new, um, the new Israel. Jerusalem was the dwelling place of God. Now we are the dwelling place of God. But, but as, as we listen to that psalm, and this is where study and meditation connect, as we listen to that psalm, I want you to think about yourself as like a 13-year-old young boy. This is the first time you're able to go with your dad to Jerusalem. And you're all excited, not like me, on a road trip. There is nothing exciting about a road trip for me, okay? I mean, imagine locking your children in a car for eight hours and you being there. I mean, I know, I know you guys have done it, but anyway... But, but now you're walking, 
with your children, and now you're thinking, what are we going to do? We are singing songs of ascent. I was glad when they told me, let's go to the house on the, of, of the Lord. Not 99 bottles of beer on the wall. 19, yep, okay. There he is, and then he's hearing these stories. As he's walking with the rest of the people, he's hearing these stories. Where are we going? We're going to Jerusalem. What are you going to see in Jerusalem? We're going to see the temple. What's in the temple? In the temple is the, the Holy of Holies. And in the Holy of Holies is the Ark of the Covenant. And in the Ark of the Covenant are the fragments of the Ten Commandments that God gave His people when He spoke to Moses. And in the Ark is, is Aaron's staff that budded. And you'll be able to, to be in that place. Now, you're not going to go in there because only a priest can go into the Holy of Holies only once a year. We're singing these songs, and, and we're going up there, and, and there's the sense in which he's connecting not only with his past, but he's connecting with his future. And when we sing these songs, we are reminded that we are part of God's story. Uh, we are not separate to it. And in the way in which the Old Testament and the New Testament are separate, we all have always been part of God's story, because God said to Abraham, I'll make you a blessing to all nations. And as we sing these songs, we realize that we are the new Israel. As we sing these songs, we realize that the place of our gathering is, yes, these gatherings like here, but actually that God lives inside us, that we are the temple of God. We spoke about it last week, that we are the body of Christ. It all begins to come together. I was glad when they told me, let us go to the house of the Lord. I was glad. Now, I was glad couldn't mean two things. I used to be glad when they told me, let's go to the house of the Lord. Maybe you're sitting here and thinking, yeah, I, I was glad. I mean, there was a time where I would wake up and I'd be like, I get to worship with the people of God. I get to sing the praises of my God. I get to sit under His Word and be shaped. I get to be used by God as He ministers through me to other people. Maybe you can say, I am glad. Maybe you're sitting here and say, I am glad that we're part of this gathering. Maybe the question we need to ask is, why are we not glad? Jerusalem was a God-elected, God-decreed, God-created, God-protected, and God-loved city, as are we. McCann says of Jerusalem that it's not a place, but it is a symbol of God's presence in time and space. And so when we go to Jerusalem, we are going to a safe place, we're going to meet our broader family, and we're going to a place of justice. Verse four, I mean, verse three says, "Jerusalem built as a city that is bound firmly together." Now, why would people go into Jerusalem? Why would there be a sense outside of the pilgrimage? Well, number one, if they were surrounded by enemies, if people wanted to kill the Israelites, what would happen is, like most other cities um, in, in those times, they would gather inside the city, and the walls of the city would be able to give them protection. They would be safe from their enemies. Satan and death have been defeated. They are outside of the city of God. We celebrate that every time we gather together. We celebrate that there's people in our gathering that have defeated the enemies that we ourselves are battling with. I mean, I've seen even in, in, in this gathering that there, are, that there are people that Jesus has delivered from addiction. There are people that Jesus has delivered from the love of money, from pride, as they went to Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem, the church of the living God, and experienced the protection of God in that, and experienced the power of God in that, their oppression was also released. 
There were nations that would want to grab the Israelites and enslave them. And within Jerusalem, there is this safety. I've seen in this community people that have been set free from the oppression of anxiety, the oppression of addiction, the oppression of shame and guilt. People would be safe from salmon, famine. <laughs> salmon? Sorry. It's my, it's my shirt, you know. You know. Beware the crazy salmon that are coming for you, you know. You know, the tragedy of this is that that's all you're going to remember about this morning, right? Okay. Beware of the salmon. In times of famine, what would happen is the people in the outlying areas would gather into Jerusalem, and it was the responsibility of the people that ruled Jerusalem to be able to provide food and shelter. And it's our responsibility in times of famine that we would be able to provide people a feast of Jesus as we feast on the bread of life, nourished and energized by the words that come from His mouth as He prepares a table for us in the midst of our enemies. A church of God, the new Jerusalem, is a, is a place of identity. Verse 4 says, to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel to give thanks to the name of the Lord. A, a pilgrimage to Jerusalem, we know that there were 12 tribes, but a pilgrimage to Jerusalem, what it did was it magnified our national identity and it minimized your tribal identity. Because as all the tribes began to gather in Jerusalem, they, there wasn't this sense of like, okay, this is Reuben, and this is Judah, and this is, this is the tribe of Benjamin and Manasseh. It was like, and here we are, we are Israel. And so when we gather together, we understand that the whole gives meaning to the part. When we gather, it's not our tribe that we're focused on, that we most identify with, but it's our spiritual national identity. We are no longer college students. We are no longer young adults, we are no longer CrossFitters or Disneylanders, we are no longer gamers or mothers or Gen Xers or hipsters, boomers, millennials, whatever the next one is. Um, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And when we gather, it's not necessarily that, that those are not things that we participate in, but those things begin to fade. And we are the church of the living God. It's a place of justice. Verse 5 says, there are thrones for judgment, the thrones of the house of David. And so what would happen in those times is, is uh, as the Israelites would go towards Jerusalem, they would have an opportunity to bring to the elders of Jerusalem their legal matters, their disputed matters. Now, maybe you were out there in Nazareth, or maybe you were out there in Bethlehem, and you had a dispute with your neighbor about where the boundary line was, then, then you would bring that to Jerusalem. You would bring that for a sense of equity or fairness. Maybe you went to the elders of your tribe in Bethlehem or in Nazareth, and you didn't find what you needed. They weren't responsive or they weren't fair. This was your opportunity to bring it to a higher court. This was kind of like the supreme court, okay? I know what those guys said, but I, I still think that they're, that they're wrong. So, so the people of Israel experienced these things. They experienced equity and fairness, and they experienced righteousness this is a place for us as well where, where we can experience the same thing, not necessarily through human intervention, but in a sense of saying, God, this is the place where justice and mercy meet. This is a place where I understand that I deserve judgment, but I receive your mercy. And this is a place where you can train me to be a person both of justice 
and of mercy. This is a place where I am able to participate and cry out, not only for a broken community, not only for a broken city, but for a broken world. I don't know if you guys have been watching the news in terms of what's happening in South Africa. And Cara and I spent years of our lives in South Africa, and so there's, there's a, a lot of criminal elements and looting, and all of those started with, uh, with a protest because the past president is being jailed for corruption. And so we have family members, and, and, and what we're praying for, and, and we prayed on, on Friday morning with a, with a group of other people, we pray for those two things. We can't pray for justice without mercy. We can't pray for mercy without justice. We're saying, God, can you bring forgiveness, but can you bring righteousness too? And so in the context of, of how we engage with the Psalms, we understand that when we come together, when our past is connected to our present, we are in a safe place. We're in a place that gives us identity, and we're in a place of justice. We were all guilty of the same crime our rebellion against God, but we all received, those of us that choose to follow Jesus, we all received that which we don't deserve, which was grace, and we all didn't get what we do deserve, which was judgment. We received mercy instead. That's why we can be the kind of people that God has called us to be in the context of our city and of our nation. So how do we practically do this? Well, the first way is that we do it corporately. Verse 8, for my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. So what he's saying is it's, this is not just about a personal way of praising. He's saying, for my brothers and companions' sake, I will engage in worship. I will say to Jerusalem, peace be upon you. There's a sense in which he understands that his individual worship is necessary for the whole to be well. Does that make sense? Sometimes our participation in our gathering is more important for others than for us. And we spoke about this last week. You know, we need to be present. And present means to be present physically, to be present spiritually, and to be present emotionally. Is to be in a place of gathering, number one, but to be in a place present emotionally. When you're saying, God, what are you saying to me about my brothers and sisters? Am I actually listening to them when they speak? to be present spiritually, saying, Spirit of God, as I listen to my brothers and sisters, what are you saying to them? True worship always has a corporate aspect connected to it. Why? Because it smashes the current idol of individualism. And our joy is always multiplied when we share it, right? I mean, it's so interesting to me as, as we go through the years, the decades, the 90s, the 2000s, 2010s in, in terms of music, um, in the 90s, you didn't see people experiencing things through their phones. They were at a concert, and they were having the time of their lives. And the people they wanted to share it with were where? With them. They said, come with me. We're going to go to this concert. We're going to have an amazing time. And now people are in this amazing space, and they're experiencing it through this little four-inch window. Why? So that they can share it with the people that are not there. I'm saying this is something that needs to change for us on a practical level, but this is something that needs to change for us here. Our connection to each other means that we are our brother's keeper. There is some sense of corporate responsibility that we have. Maybe we need to be asking the question, where are you and how are you? 
When I'm strong, I need to keep an eye out for those that are weak. When I'm weak, I need to ask the strong for help. A couple of months ago, we were out on the soccer field, and, um, and uh, I was just walking around. I was in a bit of a funk, and uh, someone came up to me and said, um, are you okay? I said, no, you need to pray for me. And they were shocked. I don't know why they were shocked, but they were, and they, they prayed for me. And I felt the kindness and empowerment of God. I felt like what I was wrestling with, they didn't ask what I was wrestling with. They, didn't, they, they just prayed God's blessing on me. I feel weak. I need God's strength. And I felt that in that moment. This is the cool thing about that is. That person came up to me afterwards and said, thank you for saying you needed help. Because not only am I encouraged in that moment, massively encouraged in that moment, but this person knows that they were necessary in that moment to be able to speak life into me. There are so many of us that can do that in the context of this body. Now, we spoke about this last week, but individually, one of the things that we need to start focusing on is this corporate sacred space. We spoke about that last week, but our individual sacred space. It's our ability to worship that separates us from any other created being on the planet. I, uh, this is what you need to come to terms with. You are a worshiper. It's just what you choose to worship that will define you. Um, and the very essence of who you are, you were created to be a worshiper. So this is the challenge. It will define your life. You will design your life around it. It will shift your nature. That's why idolatry is so powerful. You aren't going to find someone that is not a worshiper. You will just find someone that is worshiping something that is not God. That's why John Calvin tells us that our hearts are idol factories. We will find something to worship. So my challenge to us, as, as, as I challenged us last week with regards to our corporate responsibility in the context of worship, is individually. You know, there's, a, there's, a, a, there's been a lot of pressure on pastors not to push the idea of specific intentional time because people suffer under shame and guilt. But without specific intentional time, without that individual sacred space, it is very difficult for you to identify the war in your soul. Very difficult. And it's in that specific intentional time where we maybe need to ask ourselves the question, God, what is bringing me joy right now? What am I pursuing? What am I longing for? What gives my day meaning? I'm searching for the next vacation or the perfect cup of coffee or how to build this. Now, guys, I'm not even talking about sin here. I mean, obviously, we do that. The Spirit of God comes and, and challenges us and convicts us in terms of area of sin. I'm talking about things that bring us joy. And God is not, not, not concerned. God is not going to not allow us to experience joy from a good piece of music or a good piece uh, or a good cup of coffee or making love with our spouse. God is not going to do that. But what God does want to show us in our times of individual searching, has that become the ultimate and most important thing for you? Two weeks ago, I was getting really excited that football season's about to start. 
I was excited that we were going to start playing fantasy and I would finally beat Jason. <laughs> he just gets so lucky. He says it's real good management, but it's just pure, unadulterated luck. You know? <laughs> but you know what happened is I was sitting there and I was listening to the fountain and this most unspiritual thought came to me. It's like, you are more excited about Formula One and football. You know what, guys, I didn't feel shame in that moment. Let me me be clear. I felt the privilege of God speaking to me in that moment. And you know what I was able to be? Real honest. Yeah. I kind of do. Gotta help me with that, God. Help me understand just how temporal that is. I'm not going to pretend like I don't get joy out of it. I do. But what I do want God to ask, what I do want to ask God for is help me to put that in its proper place. Help me to make sure that the things that you've said, I've come to give you life and life to the full, and and we're not the best Christian when we just mope around. Joy is one of the attributes of a life-empowered, I mean, a spirit-empowered life. But not joy in the things that the Creator gives, but joy in the fact that I am the Creator's child. And so I sat there and I thought to myself, okay, how will I know this? The amount of time, the amount of energy, sure. I mean, I can do a spreadsheet and say, okay, I spent 35 minutes thinking about Formula One and like 18 minutes watching the sprint and then, you know, no. I need to look at the state of my soul and say, God, did that affect me in that way? Look, time is a good marker. But actually, what raises my soul, what brings my soul down, that is more important. I had to admit that I found temporary joy in that. Otherwise, I couldn't allow the Spirit to reorientate me. I had to say that I was glad. I had to say that I want to be glad when they said, let us go to the house of the Lord. But sometimes I'm not always glad. And that's okay. It's okay, because God knows the innermost thoughts, intense. Even if we don't understand ourselves, God knows that. And what it does is it brings us freedom. We can say, God, help me with that. The reason we can be so honest is because the kind of experience that Jesus had when he approached Jerusalem was completely the opposite to the experience that these men and women have as they approached Jerusalem. Jesus didn't rejoice when he came near Jerusalem. He mourned and he wept for her. Jesus didn't experience safety when he came near Jerusalem. He was beaten, he was humiliated, he was crucified. Jesus didn't experience any sense of togetherness when he approached Jerusalem. He was rejected, he was abandoned, he was betrayed. He was separated from his Father for our sake. And Jesus didn't experience justice in Jerusalem. He was unfairly treated so that our rightful judgment would be done away with. Band, you can come up here. The reason we are able to slow down, the reason we're able to meditate, the reason why we can be honest with our souls, the reason why we need to, maybe this summer, take some more intentional, sacred space time and slow down and and find ourselves in the the book of Psalms and saying, God, help me 
to match my emotional, intellectual, theological life. Help me to match it together. The reason we can do that is because we are utterly, completely safe as Christ followers. Let me say this. It doesn't matter what sin you may be currently involved in, because Jesus' love for you is not affected by that. It doesn't matter what great thing you've done, Jesus' love is not affected by that. Now, your life is, and the state of your soul will be, but Jesus' love and affection for you is not shaken by that. But He knows what life to the full means, and that's why He draws you to the well of life. We do this not because we can achieve some state of greater security or greater love or joy, but we do that to meet Him in that place because He's done all of this already. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, no Israelite could enter the Holy of Holies. No one. Only the high priest once a year. Since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened us through the curtain that is through His flesh, so the curtain that separated the holy place from the most holy place is torn, was torn at crucifixion. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, we don't need a human priest anymore as they did. We have the great high priest over the house of God. Let me, no, let us as a corporate entity draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. That speaks of baptism. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for He who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up in love and good works. So this is what I want us to do. Last week we talked about the power of the corporate meal in terms of, of communion, and it is a corporate meal because we are the body of Christ. But there are individual and corporate implications when it comes to the power of the meal. So what Patrick and, and the music team are going to do is they're going to sing Psalm 42. And Psalm 42 is a collection of some of those powerful kind of choruses of the Psalms. And I want you to just sit, follow along, allow the words to wash over you. And then when you're ready, I want you to go and grab the elements. There is real wine and bread over here. There is grape juice and separated um, pieces of flatbread at the back. I want you to come back to your seat. I want you to ask the question, am I glad? Was I glad? Jesus, help me to be glad. Well, what are the reasons that you can say, like the psalmist says, I was glad when they told me, let's go to the house of the Lord. I was glad because I find safety there. I was glad because I find righteousness there. I was glad because the whole gives meaning to the part. I was glad. I was glad when they told me, let's go to the house of the Lord. Does that make sense? I'm going to pray, and then we're going to do that. Spirit of God, I pray that as these words wash over us, then what you would be able to do was Show us the power Show us the glory Show us the fact that because of everything that you have accomplished 
we can sing these words with faith, with confidence. Even if we aren't glad, we can be in you, Jesus. Even if there are circumstances in our lives where you, Spirit of God, have opened up and shown us, even this morning, not just areas of sin or habitual kind of bondage, but just areas, God, where that thing that is permissible has begun to take control of our thoughts and our minds and our lives. God, I want to pray for freedom for my friends in Jesus' name. Minister to us, I pray, Holy Spirit. Thank you for listening to the Mercy Commons podcast. If you enjoyed today's content, please rate us and hit subscribe. And if you'd like to learn more about us, visit our website at mercycommons.church.